Well, good morning, Park Springs. Um, I'm glad to be and just blessed to be giving the word to y'all this morning and what God has uh, just been working in me this week um, through the passage of James um, and just on the heels of Albania and also the songs we sang just now having so much correlation to what James is going to be talking about today in being a home for the hurting and also making room so that he can come and do what he wants to do is going to be so applicable to where we're going to be today in James 1 verses 19 through 26. So if you want to turn there, we're not going to read it right off the bat, but we're going to get there eventually um, because we, we want to be in the word, right? <laughs> um, but first, just coming from in that worshipful experience and seeing what, what make room, the verbiage is asking God to do what he wants to do, not necessarily what we want to do. And how do we know what that is? And we have verbiage and we're going to read it of, of that of a mirror and how we can see ourselves in the mirror and see things. And, and, and sometimes we forget about what we just saw and we go and get distracted with our life, all the things that um, in our life can distract us from what God might be doing. Um, and I was just thinking through what ways uh, have I, you know, applicably looked into a mirror and seen things that I need to work on. And I don't know if anybody um, has ever struggled with this yourself, but um, personally, acne was a thing that I had to deal with when I was like in junior high all the way through high school. And it was a very fun process, um, very exciting. Uh, things that uh, I, I would look in the mirror and go, oh my goodness, what is going on? I'm not cleaning my skin. I've got very oily skin. Uh, I don't know what, why that happens, but um, I, in junior high, remember seeing like the first red spot on my face and going like, uh, what is this? Um, Mom, what is this on my face? Why is it uh, destroying my perfect complexion, um, right, that I was so worried about as a junior hire? I'm not sure if that's necessarily my mindset, but I did see it, and I was curious as to what it was. And just in that process of growing up, I feel like we all have to deal with it in some way or another. But you see it, and I saw it in the mirror. I was like, what is that? That's weird. Uh, but I didn't really think about it. And I moved on. I had Minecraft to play. I had video games to go play and things that distracted me from that purpose. If you don't know what Minecraft is, that's okay. That's probably a, a good thing. Um, but I would see it and I would move away. I would, I would forget all about what that was. Um, a couple weeks later, maybe there's more. Maybe I'm not cleaning my skin like I could have been in that moment. And there's more acne and I'm, I'm, I'm going through what uh, changes happened from that junior high to high school uh, era. But also, I'm not cleaning my skin like I could have like I know now that I have to do or it will uh, return and things that I could have been doing to eliminate. And so uh, it's not that big a deal. I see it in the mirror. That's kind of weird, whatever. I'm going to school. I don't really care about my appearance in junior high, right? That's a junior high boy stigma is that we do not care about our appearance or how we smell, that a bottle of Axe spray completely in the bathroom before you leave, you don't even have to shower anymore. I mean, you've just solved the whole hygiene problem that we've all been dealing with. And I learned that that's not actually how you can do things. But moving from junior high with a little bit of acne to like uh, freshman year, there's a lot more. We're dealing with a little bit more of a problem now. And I'm like, well, I can't go to high school like this. Uh, that was a lot of shame that I had that it's not actually that big a deal what you look like and you shouldn't be caring about your appearance. But you look in the mirror and you think, why, why is this happening? But Soccer, I played a lot of soccer. I went on and did a lot of other stuff. I'd forget about it. 
because I had friends and I like to uh, have a good time and laugh. And so I forget about what I'm, I'm dealing with because I'm not always looking in the mirror and seeing it and having exposed in my life and me seeing it as a problem that needs to be fixed. And so we go down and kick that ball down the road and junior year of high school, it's everywhere. Like I, there's, I can't even see skin anymore that there's so much acne. And I've, you can ask my mom, I had to go, I had this big, it's a gross word, cyst on my nose. Um, and I had to go get a steroid shot, like straight into it, into my nose. And my mom would say that, uh, the needle just kept going. The guy just kept putting it into my nose, and it just kept going. And I'm just like, oh! And it, it almost came out the other nostril. You think that she kept going so far? It's just so weird and such a problem that had to be, you know, dealt with when I was just not seeing the problem, and I let it get really bad. Um, that was the end of it. I took some medication, cleared it right up. Uh, the Lord worked in that. <laughs> Uh, and we didn't have to deal with that anymore. But just the idea of, of how we can see it in the mirror and see that problem and let it get to places where we shouldn't have ever let it get because we're not always seeing it and it's not always relevant in our mind. That's what James is going to talk about in how we do have to be active in this process of sanctification and this process of getting to where we will lack less than we did before and what Jim and Charlie communicated through the first couple of weeks but moving from something that's not necessarily applicable to our spiritual um, relationship, we can see, you know, if, if I asked someone in your life who's close to you and around you, does this person struggle with anger in any way? Has this person ever, you know, lashed out because of anger? Has uh, this person ever had anything? And, you know, if I'm being honest and you ask my wife, you know, I like to think that I'm not a terribly angry person, but circum circumstances can lead to a place where I might not be watching my tongue and I might not be, you know, always taking care of what I'm saying and how I'm interacting with people around me. And so we might get to see that side of ourselves every once in a while, but unless we are noticing the problems that God is trying to show us all the time and consistently persevering, foreshadowing, persevering through what God is calling us to do in our lives, we're going to forget about it. And so if we have that angry spout, but then we kind of forget, we apologize and we move on like, ah, it's not that big a deal. Um, we might get to a place where further down the road, we now have a huge anger problem and we don't know where it came from. And it's because we are not letting God's word and the gospel, the implanted word, wash over us and do the things that it is trying to do. It requires perseverance. In the same manner, have any of us uh, ever not trusted God fully like we should? I mean, yes, guilty is charged, I think, all the time. We try to do so much on our own that we forget about God's taking care of us and providing for us in ways that only he can and we get moved in the monotony of life and the mundaneness of life, and we forget what God is doing and calling us to depend on himself. And so I think a very uh, scriptural application to this is the rich young ruler who thinks he's done everything. He's checked every box. Jesus, how do I get into heaven, right? I've done everything. I've done everything. Jesus says, no, you haven't. He said, uh, go and sell everything you have. Give up all those things. And the rich young ruler, you know, he had done so much, but he had that part. He was like, no, that's mine. You know, this stuff is mine. Jesus said, no, give up all that and follow me. And what does he do? He doesn't, okay, fine, you know, Jesus, I'm going to go and we're going to be in this together. He leaves saddened. That's a part of his life that he didn't want to see in the mirror. 
That's a part that he would rather forget about and go about his life living um, in complacency. And as a human, I can very much say that we are complacent from looking at my own soul, not at all judging anybody else, my own soul. I'm a complacent person that I would rather fall back into sinful patterns um, and to not let the word of God expose what it is trying to expose. And so I think where we're going to really camp out is what the gospel is trying to do, and it's that it reveals where we lack, gives us what we need, and calls us to perseverance. I think if we let that wash over us for a second, that that is the gospel's, you know, that's the story of Jesus and his death and resurrection on the cross, is that it reveals where we lack, gives us what we need, and calls us to perseverance. And so we had a group go to Albania, and they practiced the three circles. And if um, you've ever heard of that, that's a super easy gospel presentation where you have uh, a note card, and you're like, hey, can I share my faith with you? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's gonna, how long is it going to take? You're like, two minutes, real quick. And you show them God in his perfection and that he created us. Those are two circles, right? But we sinned against God, created a fracture in that. And the third circle, luckily for us, is Jesus. And that work through Jesus gets us back to God and his death and resurrection, that when we trust in that, we have communion with God, the gospel. That is what we want to be all about is the gospel. And in that, you can say, hey, do you want that to be a part of your life? And you say, quick ABCs, super easy to remember. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And the C is commit your life to him. And I think so often we might get stuck at the admit and the believing, and we keep the committing part. That's, uh, that's for another day. And the gospel, if we want it to have its full potency and power, we need that commit, right? We have to be with Jesus daily, walking through it, um, having him expose things in our life. It can't just be a head knowledge. And that's exactly what James is going to get to here, is that it can't just be something we hear, but something we do. And so it's not that we have to persevere alone, but Jesus leads us in perseverance, that he is walking through it with us. And like Jim read at the beginning, that we can count it all joy through trials, that it produces steadfastness. How can we count it joy? It's because we have our Savior daily walking with us, and that he is continuously with us, pushing us to grow, leading us in that perseverance, that he did everything for us, that he calls us to just follow him. And so that, that sets up James 1, 19 through 27, as we're going to read it through. Um, so if you're already there, it'll be on the screen, I believe, as well. James 1, 19 through 26. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And let me tell you that like, we thank God for his word because it is what will move us to that place of counting everything joy. And so I'm just thankful and gracious for God's word as it does a mighty work in my life and I hope in yours. Um, as we unpack this. And so James is uh, the uh, leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he is talking to a a Messianic Jewish culture who have upheld all the traditions of the ancient Jewish time, but now they know Jesus, and so that has radically changed their lives. But they've also done all these traditional things and upheld all these things that they've had to jump through all these hoops. And now they have Jesus, and now they see Gentiles who have not had to do all the tradition and uh, circumcision (laughs) that is what the the Messianic Jews have had to go through. And so there is a little bit of argumentative uh, arguments happening here. And if you go and read Acts 15 with the Jerusalem Council, that's Paul and that's James and a couple other early church leaders trying to figure this stuff out. Like, what are we going to do? They're at each other's throats because of this. How are we going to navigate this situation? And so that's where James is writing this as a talking point. We're going to get through a lot of things in James that are going to be ways that um, the gospel is exposing things in our life. But he's going to give us this little one real quick. And not a little one. It's very impactful and very potent. But he's going to give it in kind of this interesting setup to the rest of how, you know, as a blueprint for how we can take the other things James is going to communicate and we can apply what he's going to tell us in these verses what he has told us in these verses, we can apply all those things to um, those elements of life where he's calling us to change. And so this one, godly speech, we know these verses. Be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. Very argumentative times that are in Jerusalem right now. And although things don't change, and I, I don't like to be the person who's like, today is like the worst. No one's ever gone through what we've gone through. I don't think that's necessarily true, but I do think we can look at right now and say there are things we are arguing about. That in today's day and age, there are things that Christians are arguing for, and I'm not telling you don't argue, right? There are things that God cares about, things that he wants us speaking truth and speaking wisdom onto. It's not that we need to be passive Christians, but we need to be meek Christians because Jesus, our Savior, did that. And so what does he say? Where is it? Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Meekness, servant, servant-heartedness. It's how Jesus lived his whole life. He spoke truth and wisdom, but he also served. He washed people's feet. How many feet have we washed in the last our lives? Not a whole lot. Jesus was fully soaked up in meekness. He was both the lion and the lamb, both full in power and wisdom and might, but also was a servant. And we have a great Savior who did both of those perfectly. We are not perfect. We cannot do that the way Jesus did unless we are so soaked up in meekness, in servant-heartedness, that it's something we've gone through so much before we get to the part where, okay, I need to speak truth. If you can go through all of these checks and balances of am I loving someone with the words I'm saying, am I caring about that person's soul with the words I'm saying, or am I just trying to say something that's going to ruin them, right? That's going to completely roast them and make them feel terrible. That's not how Jesus operated. 
Jesus was surgical in the way that he told people how it exposed things in their own life, but he did so completely in the meekness and servant-hearted nature that is Jesus. And it is such a great example to follow. And I, I could tell you personally, I've had plenty of gospel conversations with people at UTA and just people that are in my lives. And honestly, in some moments, I, it's gotten a little heated, right? Jesus, very near and dear to my heart. People have definitely taken shots at Christianity and Jesus, and it kind of gets me going a little bit. And I'm, I'm kind of getting a little worked up. I'm like, oh, no, you didn't say that about my Savior. But in those moments, I'm getting swelled up with passion, and I, I get uneasy. It's not, I'm not angry, but I'm also full of emotion, and I just know like the next words I say are not going to be uplifting. I am so emotionally involved right now. As a human, across the board, we get emotionally involved. I am so emotionally involved that the things I'm, I'm going to say are not going to be good. I know they're not going to be lifting, uplifting to this person who Jesus cares for, even in the face of what they've just said. And I think that's extremely important in the way that James is communicating. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The things I'm going to say will not produce the righteousness of God if I'm letting my emotions drive the words I say. If I'm throwing things off the cuff without any kind of um, spiritual or gospel-centered thought or filter, then it is not going to be the righteousness of God. And so in, in terms of this, I, I truly believe this, and it's a way I, I try to live my life, um, but obviously we look in the mirror and we move away and forget. But air on the side of meekness. I think that's what James is telling us, that we have to let that rule the way we speak truth and wisdom in such a volatile time, in such a hot-button time where things can easily go from zero to 100 real fast. And you are like, how did we get here? You know, how did I get so emotionally involved? And if, if we're walking with Jesus and he is showing us the way of meekness, then we should follow that. And so James sets that up. He gives us Godly speech. Hey, guys, you know, watch the things we say. And then he says, now, now take it here. Person who looks in the mirror intently and forgets about what they look like, that's being a hearer and not a doer. He's calling us to walk this out in our lives. And it's such a hard thing for me to communicate to you personally because I am like you, imperfect and that to communicate this, I have to just say that, you know, I'm not crushing this, right? That this is something that I'm walking through daily, trying to commit my life to Jesus so that I am a doer and not a hearer. And so this is very much for me in like last week reading through it. And it's very much for you, but we're in this together. Sometimes, personally, I feel like the person on the stage, we just... Uh, sometimes think that, oh, they're not struggling with this, but they are, you know? Like uh, everyone on this stage is, is preaching the things to themselves as much as they're preaching to you. And that is a great thing because God is doing a powerful work in all of our lives. And so he gives this godly speech, you know, pointed uh, effort to say, hey, now take that and act on it. Don't just go, James, I got gotcha, you, right? Yep. Guard my, my words, be slow to, slow to anger. Okay, cool. And then he, they go right back to just going at it with each other and just tearing each other down. That is not what James wants. That's not what Jesus wants. That's not how the gospel can work in our life, that we have to hear the things that God is exposing in our life, and we have to let it wash over us and change us because the gospel reveals where we lack, 
gives us what we need, and it calls us to persevere. And that's what we're going to see in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so James uses that mirror image, mirror metaphor, um, to show us that we can't be people who acknowledge where we go wrong and our inefficiencies. It's not enough to just see and go, yep, that's me. Uh, and then move on, go out these doors on a Sunday morning and go back to living our lives just like we were before, that that's not going to get us to where we lack nothing. That's not going to get us to where we can count everything joy, the ups and downs of life as joy. We need the perseverance through the work of the Spirit in our life as the perfect law the one that shows us everywhere that we are inefficient, that we can't measure up. Every place that through the Old Testament people saw and could not measure up and Jesus has worked in the, his life and death and resurrection to, to make it to where we don't have to measure up. That we have so much grace upon grace from our Lord and Savior that saves our soul that we can see the perfect law no longer is something that scares us or intimidates us or goes, oh, I'll never measure up to that and walk away saddened, but to see it and go, Jesus did that for me. Now I can see the perfect law as something that shows me where to go, shows me where I need to move, where I can do better. And it's because Jesus is walking through it with me that I can persevere. The perfect law shows that we've got nothing to offer but that's not a thing to be saddened about. It's a thing to rejoice about because the Lord has done the work, past, present, and future, for us to have an eternal life with him, both here and in heaven, that we can enjoy so much of what the Father has given us because of Jesus' work. And so it's not something that should scare us, but it's something that should lead us into that sanctification process. And when we let that happen, we're letting the gospel have its full work letting it do what it wants to do, not keeping it as a person who just hears it and let it go in one ear out the other, but someone who does and acts on it. And that is what we want so desperately, or it's what we should want so desperately. And so he moves us from that. He says, godly speech. He then says, hey, be a doer, not a hearer. I'm talking to you people who are arguing with each other, right? James is very pointed in that. And he he then says, be a doer, not a hearer. And then he, he revisits, he works back in. And 26 is savage, that it is speaking to call us out in the ways that we don't act, in the way that we kind of shrug off the things that Jesus is trying to work in our life, but they need to be worked on, that we have to commit our lives to him. So he talks about godly speech, then says, be a doer, not a hearer. And then goes, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That's, that's pretty powerful verbiage. Stuff that convicts my heart to the core. That if we're not practicing what we're understanding and what the gospel is showing us, our system of beliefs is worthless. And that's crazy. That's powerful. That's things that, you know, I can go so many weeks at a time without thinking about the fact that I've been caught up in so much distraction and that I'm doing good enough for, you know, Mark as a Christian, that I am crushing it, right? Uh, I'm kind of ignoring the places that God's trying to show me where I need to act, but, you know, I'm in church on Sundays and uh, I'm reading my Bible every once in a while, right? I'm doing enough. And that is not the mindset that James is calling us into. It's not 
to make us feel really bad, like, oh, I guess my religion is worthless. No, he's trying to spur us on to not letting things just come in to our head and the way we can think about things, but the way we could practice things. And so he doesn't leave us there, right? He doesn't say, your religion's worthless, see ya. No, he says, what is religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father? And I think it's so awesome that he gives us one thing so applicable to right now that we can leave these doors and go and accomplish. But he also gives us the other thing that's really hard. (laughs) He says, go and visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. And I think that's extremely potent and powerful for me who sees all the things that scripture and what the perfect law highlights in my life that I need to grow and work on. And I'm like, that's a long list, God. That's a huge list of things that I've got to work on. That's kind of scary. James says, hey, here's a starting point. If you want to be a doer and not just a hearer, there's one thing you can go do right now. And to the orphans and widows in Jerusalem at that time, they don't bring anything to the table. There is no societal you know, thing that they do. And so to Jerusalem or to society in that day and age, They don't need to be cared for, right? We don't need them, so why take care of them? And James is saying that's the very place where we can go love others, where we can go practice what we preach, that Jesus is love, that Jesus loves others. That's all he is, is love, and he's so much of love that we can just try and do a little bit, right? We can just move in that direction. Let's go love others. Let's go visit orphans and widows in their affliction, Step one, super easy and practical step. And the next, hey, this one's easy too, right? Keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, that one's gonna take a little bit longer. That this process of committing our lives to Christ is not an easy one that's gonna happen overnight, right? That's why he gives us this such practical and easy application to go and do it. Just get the ball rolling. The people who sit in their seats and leave from this place not changed in, in any way. I think that it's so powerful for even if you're sitting in this room and you're not a believer, that we have to, that as Christians, um, we're not just saying things and trying to accomplish things because we want to feel good and we want to put you down. There is so much in scripture that says we've got to scrutinize and think about everything we do and see how it affects long-term the kingdom of God, and that we have to do all these checks and balances of, of how we use our words and our verbiage so that we show people love, and not that we're prideful, not that we have the things that um, make us feel good, but we really want to be about loving others. I think James walks us through that. He gives us that, that left hook from telling us to have godly speech, he then says, hey, you people who are just hearing it and not doing it, right hook, be a doer, right? And then he uppercuts us with your religion's worthless if you don't do it. And it's like, I'm knocked out. God, you've done it. You know, you've, you've KO'd me. I'm, I'm completely sitting here ready um, to either, you know, just say that maybe I don't value these things like I did. You know, that's an honest opinion that some people might have that you might not be a believer and that you might just not say, or you might just say, oh, I just don't value this. You know, I guess that helps me realize that. And I think to you, you know, there's so much good in scripture and that it is calling us to live a life that is good for others. It's not just for ourselves, but it's a, a joy that we can spread with others. And so if that helps you understand what the gospel actually means and what the implications of the gospel is, then I think that's worthy of praise because misconceptions can lead us to where our religion is worthless. 
And we don't want worthless religion. We want religion that is pure and undefiled before God. And we want to move in that direction. So we have to get that right. It's not enough to just admit that God, that Jesus is our Savior and that we are sinners. It's not enough to just believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We have to commit our lives to him. That that is a very necessary part. And you're going to say, well, Mark, what about the you know, works v. faith? It's grace alone. We'll get there. That's coming up. James is going to talk a lot about that. Not necessarily my place today, but it is a beautiful picture of the simplicity of what the gospel is, but also the complexity that you will continuously unpack more and more about what the gospel has in store for you as you live your life out forever and ever until we do get to the kingdom in heaven. And that is such a, a great Comfort that I have that even though I can understand it in its simplicity, I can also unpack it forever and ever. And so with all of that in mind, the end result of what James is talking about, that when we do have faith in Christ and when we do commit our lives to him, is we have steadfastness. What is steadfastness? It's holding firm. It's staying uh, upright through storm and trial and I was thinking about that this week, and this is just the beauty of what Scripture is, and I was thinking about that in my lack of knowing everything about the Bible and not realizing, like, oh, what does it say in, in Matthew 7, verse uh, this? Oh, it says this. Some people are like that, and I am not gifted in that way. I can read something a bunch of times, and then I can think that I can kind of piece it together and say, oh, yeah, the, the, the Bible really helps me understand this. What did that say? And I have to go and look, and I have to check it out. And so in this moment that I'm looking up steadfastness, I'm thinking about holding firm, I'm like, that kind of sounds like the person who builds his house on the rock, a firm foundation versus something on sand, something that's going to fall and wither away. Steadfastness is that. I'm like, that's awesome. You know, maybe I'm going to go read that and see what that has to say, see if in any way that connects. Sure enough, it does, and it's not on me to connect things, it's because the Bible is one cohesive story that communicates Jesus and the gospel, the important argument, the thing that we should be telling everybody about. And so it's on the screen, I believe, also, but Matthew 7 says this, verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. That's calculated. You know, that's, that's something that I wasn't understanding fully, and I moved to see scripture and I try to see if it might fit my narrative of what I want to preach about, I could take a step back and we can just read scripture all day and see that it corroborates its own story and points to our Savior who is the most important thing. And that's what James is telling us, that steadfastness is produced from, from following him, not just sitting in our seats, but actually moving and walking it out. And so to close, uh, I've got a, just a, a way that I personally have seen God work in my life. And so I was, uh, my senior year of high school, I was going to go play college soccer, and I had this workout regimen. I had to do all these things. There were, um, 
things that I did not want to do, but it was running like every day. It was a lot of push-ups, a lot of pull-ups. I've got some stringy arms. That's not very easy for a person like me. Uh, and it, maybe if I had put the work and effort into it, maybe I would be jacked by the end of that summer, but I wasn't. Um, and that's exactly my point, is I think personally, like I've really struggled with laziness my whole life. That if I can sit back and not have to act and be comfortable and easy, then that's what I'm going to take, right? I want the easy way out most of the time. And growing up, I think I've always taken that road. And it's been scripture that has said, hey, no, fight, persevere, no laziness. But I've, I had two months to get myself in a shape that was ready for what was needed of me come the semester starting. And I might have done it once or twice and realized that that's not very fun and in the heat of the summer and moved away from it and, and didn't do it, went and played video games or played, you know, just with my friends doing something very unproductive and not good for my soul. And it really, you know, I wasted that time. God showed me. He said, you're going to need to work out. And I felt it. I'm like, ah, I might be in trouble. You know, I keep waking up. I think I'm regressing. I think I'm getting less fit this summer. Like, that's not really going to be good. But then I get all these things in front of me and I forget. I'm like, well, I'll deal with that tomorrow. Procrastination. That's the very root of procrastination is laziness. And so I'll deal with that tomorrow. Uh, come the end of the summer, I was not in a good place, right? I'd spent like the whole summer inside and I, I hadn't seen the sun in like two weeks. I'm like, what is that ball of fire up there? It exposes everything in my life. What is this? And I was not in a place to go play soccer outside in the heat. And it was that laziness that I knew. It wasn't like I was completely oblivious to what was needing to happen, but I was complacent and I would forget. I was the person who saw it in the mirror and I left and forgot completely about it because, you know, it's easier to forget. And I think we're extremely complacent. And what the gospel is going to do in our lives if we start from scratch and say, yes, God, I'm committing my life to you, it's going to push us to those areas, and it is going to require perseverance. And so just to, to read it one more time as we close and, and get back into worship, the gospel reveals where we lack, it gives us what we need, and it calls us to perseverance. And we're going to need to take that mentality into every other thing that James has for us because it is a, a great blueprint. We can start with godly speech, but he's going to go with so more. He's going to be surgical in the way he talks about certain things. And we have to know that we can't just hear it. We've got to do it. And so I want and just call you into that. Walk with me as I try to commit my life to Jesus in a way that brings me closer to this steadfastness, this counting everything joy, because that sounds really cool, but it's going to take some work and it's going to take some effort. Would y'all pray with me?